He is risen. That's why we're here, the glorious, wonderful, powerful, amazing news that Jesus is alive, that he is risen, that life has changed. But what happens when people don't know that? Or what happens when maybe they've heard it, maybe they, they, they know the stories, but they don't own it, they haven't embraced it, it hasn't become part of their, their life. Well, there's a great story. There's a story in your Bible, a resurrection story. It's found in Luke chapter 24. If you want to look there, or just keep your Bible open or your phone app open. Or if you want to find the, the, the pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 749. And in that story, you'll hear about a couple of, of disciples, followers of Jesus, who are on their right way to Emmaus. But they, like so many people, they heard the news, they just couldn't believe it, they couldn't own it, they, it wasn't real to them. You remember, it had been a crazy week for the followers of Jesus, let me catch you up a little bit to where we pick up this story from Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, there were the Hosanna, Hosannas as Jesus came riding into town on a, on a donkey, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, everyone was excited, there was a new uh, enthusiasm about what was going to happen now that Jesus has arrived, people were anticipating that that, that sick people would be made well, because that's what Jesus does. He was, he was healing people left and right. And, and, and the news was that Jesus would, would make hungry people fed, because that's what Jesus does. He fed 5,000 people on one occasion and 4,000 people on another. And even the dead will be raised. Don't believe me? Just ask Lazarus. It can happen now that Jesus has come into town. And best of all, in their minds, best of all, it meant that the Romans would be kicked out. The Romans were hated. The Romans were, were the ruling class. The Romans with their chariots and their swords and their centurions and their iron eagles. They would be kicked back to Rome where they belong because Jesus was here. Of course, we know by Friday, uh, the, the, the tides had changed. And sick people were still sick. And hungry people were still hungry. And dead people were still dead. And worst of all, the Romans were still in charge. And the tide had changed. The people went from Hosannas to crucify him. And Jesus was arrested in a garden by when one of his disciples turned him in. He was beaten and mocked and hung on a cross and died. He was buried and placed in a tomb, and that was that. No more Jesus. And for these two, these, these two disciples, followers, on their way to Emmaus, that was all they needed. Oh, they heard a rumor. <laughs> they heard a rumor that Jesus was alive. Some women came back and told them that, that, that they had gone to the tomb. They were going to, to pay their respects to cold, dead Jesus. But when they showed up at the tomb, the rock had been rolled, and they said, they said, they saw an angel. And the angels told them, according to Mark, the angels told them, He is risen, he's not here. See the place where you have laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. That's what the women said. But you can't trust women. (laughs) You know, who knows what they saw? Who knows what they heard? If, 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 if angels were going to show up and tell, G, tell us that Jesus is alive, they would have showed up to, to John. He was the only disciple at Golgotha. They would have shown up to Mar- Bartholomew or, or Nathaniel or somebody, somebody, somebody. They wouldn't have shown up to these women. So I don't know what the women saw, but they didn't believe it. And so these two, one of them's name is Cleopas. The other one isn't named very possibly because, because 
uh, uh, this friend is not named. Could have been Cleopas' wife. She wouldn't have been named because, again, women had very low value in the first century. So maybe it was Cleopas and Mrs. Cleopas on their way to Emmaus. Why are they going to Emmaus? They want to get out of town. They just want to get away. Do you remember those old Southwest commercials? Like, like this one. General, there's been a breach. We need your password so we can lock down the system. My password? Yes, sir, we need your password. The password that I use? Yes, sir, your password. There's been another breach. Sir. Right, okay. I-H-A-T-E-M-Y-J-O-B-1. I hate my job. One? Want to get away? Now you can with Southwest fares as low as $59 one way. Yes to low fares with nothing to hide. All right, enough of that. That's Cleopas and Mrs. Cleopas. Not I hate my job, but quite frankly, I hate my life. Everything is going crazy. Jesus is dead. We could be next. We got to get away. So let me pick up the story. It's in Luke chapter 24, page 749, verse 13. It says this. That same day, the same day that Jesus rose from the dead, Easter, Easter afternoon, Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, now Emmaus not, might not mean anything to you. It's the only place it's mentioned in the Bible right here. Emmaus is probably nothing more than a crossroads. There was no, you know, Kroger. There was no uh, blinking yellow light even. There was probably nothing there. Just a small, small little burg, seven miles west of Jerusalem. It's significant that it's seven miles west of Jerusalem. Because I told you in Mark's gospel, when the angel showed up to the ladies, which presumably these ones had heard because they heard that Jesus was alive from the women, the angel said, go to Galilee. Why go to Galilee? Well, why, why, if Jesus was, in, he was, he was crucified in Jerusalem, why not just stay in Jerusalem? Why not go to Pilate's uh, 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 palace and say, ha Pilate, guess what? I'm alive. Why not go to Rome, show up in, in Caesar's court and say, Caesar, I'm the king of kings and lord of lords, not you. Why in the world go to Galilee? Nothing, nothing good came out of Galilee. No one, no one important lived in Galilee. There's only one reason why Jesus would go to Galilee. Only one reason that I know. So that's where his disciples were from. And, and, and those, those, those disciples, even though they were there in Jerusalem, soon they'd be heading back if they thought that the, the authorities were going to be after them next. They would be heading back not to unfamiliar territory in Jerusalem, but back to their, their, their homes and back to their, their home region where they could hide and no one would catch them. That's where they're going. So Jesus says, listen, I'm going to Galilee. Galilee is north of Jerusalem. Emmaus is west of Jerusalem. So these two... These two followers of Jesus, Cleopas and his wife, maybe. They said, I know, I know what the women said. They said Jesus was going to be in Galilee. Galilee's north. We're going west. Jesus is dead. We're going west. There's something important about this. Why would Jesus go to Galilee? It used to be uh, 20, 30 years ago, there was kind of the, the, the new thing in, in Christian circles. Maybe you've heard this term, was a seeker-sensitive service. It, was, it had good intentions. The idea was to create a worship service where people who didn't know, know the Bible, who didn't know anything about Christianity, they could come and not feel awkward, not feel, feel unwelcome, but they would be welcome and they'd hear familiar songs and it would be, be something that, that they could relate to, a seeker-sensitive service. The intentions of that were very, very good and many people found the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, we don't have to seek Jesus. Jesus is seeking you. 
Jesus is going where you're at. So Jesus doesn't go where I go. No, Jesus does. That's the good news of this gospel that we're proclaiming. He's alive. He is risen. And Jesus is seeking you, just like he was seeking those disciples so long ago. Jesus goes where you are. Jesus goes behind those locked doors. Jesus goes in those places where you don't want to be seen. Jesus goes to those, those areas where we think no one else is watching. Jesus goes there. Why? Because Jesus is constantly seeking us. The Bible says earlier in Luke's gospel, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that what was lost. Why does Easter matter? It matters because Jesus, Jesus is alive and he's seeking you. That's the good news. Well, Luke goes on to tell more of the story. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Verse 14 says, no doubt they were talking about the events. They, they, they couldn't believe what had happened. They couldn't believe that Jesus was arrested. They couldn't believe they had such high hopes. And when Jesus was involved, you know, miracles happened. And so they were just assuming that miracles were going to happen that week. Just like always before, lepers had been made well and and prostitutes were given new jobs and and life was different, better. Jesus could take two little biscuits and five little sardines and make a feast out of it. But then came Friday. And maybe, maybe they bought into the old notion, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Because the powers that be, they took it out on Jesus. And Jesus didn't have an army. In fact, when one of his, his disciples grabbed the sword and, and whacked off the ear of one of the slaves, Jesus put it back, back on. And so they were asking, why, didn't Jesus, why did Jesus allow that to happen? Why, 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 did, why did he have to go? He could have, he could have, why did he go to the cross? He could have gotten down from there. He, he walked on water. He calmed storms. He turned water into what surely he could have come down from that cross. Why didn't Jesus come down? They were full of doubts and questions and wonderings. And then something amazing happens. Luke says, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. God kept them from recognizing him. Maybe in their grief, they couldn't see it was Jesus. Maybe the crucifixion had so disfigured Jesus, they couldn't tell who it was. Maybe their eyes were down and they were just so forlorn that they were walking along, not looking, not paying attention really to anything else going on. But their eyes were closed. Jesus was right there, right next to them. And they missed it. It's not all that hard to understand. I've known people who've come to church. We had one guy in my church years ago. He came every Sunday with his wife. Uh, I mean, they rarely missed. But if you were to ask him if he was a Christian, he was an honest guy, and he'd say, no, I'm not a Christian. He would come to his wife, with his wife, and, and, they would sit, and he would sit in the service, and when the service was over, they, we, he would go home. And some of those services were really great. Some of those services, the power of the Spirit came upon us and people were finding Jesus and it was awesome. And he just sat there. Like, like, like in another world almost. And all of these things, some of those services were so charged with the Holy Spirit. He just, he missed it. Week after week, he missed it. The Savior was there and he missed it. That's what's going on here. In fact, Luke says their sadness was written all over their face. That's the way this guy was, quite frankly. He had had a terrible childhood. He was, he, it was just a, a rough life that he had lived. And you could see it. You could see it written on his face. He was there. It could have been different. It could have been changed. The resurrected Lord was present. But he missed it, just like these two. They're on the road. They, they're traveling. Jesus is there. They must say, if I have one prayer for you today, this is it. I, I pray that you don't miss Jesus. 
I pray that you don't miss the resurrected Lord. Well, Luke gives us a clue. He, he lets us listen in on their conversation. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened these last few days. And I love Jesus' response. Because this is the only place in the Bible that I know of where Jesus plays dumb. Now, I play dumb all the time. You know, Carla will say, you know, How, who put this empty milk jug in the refrigerator? There's only two of us that live in that house. And I respond, boy, there's an empty milk jug in the refrigerator? Huh? Or she'll say, who drove over the grass and missed the driveway and ran over my grass? Somebody drove over your grass? Huh? I don't know how that could happen. That's Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. They say, don't you know about what's going on in the last three days? And Jesus responds, what things? Huh? And they respond back, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. Now listen to how they describe him. I think this is important. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. If at my funeral you say, that Rob Prince, he was a prophet and he did mighty miracles. Wow, that would be awesome. If, if in my obituary, in the Flint Journal, they say, Rob Prince, he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and people. Wow, wow, wow. my mother-in-law would even be impressed by that. Wow, that'd be awesome. <laughs> if you put on my tombstone, Rob Prince, mighty prophet, miracle worker, mighty teacher. Wow, wow, wow. Everyone who would, would, would walk through that cemetery would say, wow, that's somebody. But this just isn't somebody that they're describing. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is Jesus Christ Almighty. And they say, well, he was a mighty prophet. He, you know, he's a prophet, mighty prophet, just a prophet. He's a teacher, oh, a good teacher, you know, God and, and people, oh, he's a good teacher, just a teacher. He's a nice guy, he's a really nice guy. Listen, mighty prophets, good teachers, and nice guys in the first century can't transform lives in the 21st century. But Jesus Christ is the, is the living one. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega. Jesus Christ is the mighty counselor. Jesus Christ is the one that reached down when my dad was an alcoholic and lifted him out of that mess. And Jesus Christ changes everything. Why? He's the living Lord. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. He's not just a mighty teacher. He is the one that can transform you and transform me and can transform families and can bring us back together. That's who Jesus is. And these guys, Cleopas and Mrs. Cleopas or whoever it was, they missed it. They totally missed it. You know, old Bill Gaither was right. He wrote a song. Do you want to know a secret? I'm not supposed to announce this, so keep it to yourself. The Gaithers are coming here in September. Shh. Don't tell anybody else. We're not supposed to announce it yet. Shh. Anyway. Obel Gaither wrote a song that said, because he lives, not because some nice guy lived, but because Jesus Christ lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, not just a prophet, not even a miracle worker, but because Jesus Christ, the, the Holy One, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because he lives, all fear is gone. 
Because, because he lives, not just anybody lives, not just, not just a, somebody who did a few miracles and, and, and was, 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 was pleasant to be around, not just a guy who, who we need to emulate in, in the way he loved everybody, everybody, not just that, but Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus Christ, because he lives, everything changes. So they missed it, they missed it. They missed the man, they missed the, the mission of Jesus. This is what, this is what they say. Our leading priests, religious leaders, handed him over to be, condemn him to death. They crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who would come and rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Did you hear their words? We had hoped. Didn't happen. We wished it would have. We had hoped. Honestly, I'm glad it didn't happen the way they thought. They thought that Jesus was just coming to redeem Israel. Jesus came to redeem the whole world. And so they were really hoping for the wrong thing, quite honestly. Have you ever done that? I suppose we all have. We've hoped for the wrong thing. I remember when I was a freshman at Olivet, um, I think I weighed 110 pounds dripping wet. I had a big old afro. You know, I kind of looked like a pencil with one of those big fuzzy things on the end. In in other words, a chick magnet, you know. (laughs) And so I was enamored with this one. I don't even remember her name. I honestly, honestly don't. I was trying to think of it this week. I cannot remember her name. Anyway, I was enamored by her. I thought for sure she had to be the one. She was got to be the one. I'd hoped, I hoped, I hoped she was the one. And so finally, I called her up to ask her out on a date. And, you know, it was a sympathy. Yes, she said yes, you know. And so that was nice. And we went out, and I know she hated it. And it took me about two minutes to realize I hated it. And that, that whole thing was just awful, awful, awful. And it became very clear to me as, you know, the fingernails were scraping on the chalkboard. This is not great. She's not, I had hoped she was the one. She's not even close to the one. <laughs> I'm sure she, and I'm sure she thought the same thing. Sometimes we hope for the wrong things. We had hoped he would be the Messiah who would redeem Israel. They were partly right. Jesus is the Messiah. But Jesus came to rescue everybody. For God so loved the world, not simply Israel, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. And I think, I think Cleopas and Mrs. Cleopas... They thought they knew what was best. They thought they had it all figured out. But sometimes God has other plans, better plans, bigger plans than what we can think. And sometimes when God doesn't answer our plans the way we think they should go, we think, wait a minute, God, this isn't the way, this isn't the way I had this figured out, God. And so we say things like, you know, I, 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 I need a new marriage. And God says, well, why don't you work on the old one? Or we say things like, well, God, you've got to heal me. And God sometimes says, why don't you learn some things through this adversity? Or we say, I need more money. And God says, well, why don't, why don't you trust me with what you got? See, when God responds those ways, the ways we don't anticipate, the ways we don't want, that's when faith comes into play. And faith is saying, even if I don't see what's coming down the road, even if I don't know what's going to happen next, even if I don't understand or if there's a lot of confusion, faith is saying, I still trust in God. The one who was raised from the dead, I can still trust in. See, Cleopas and his wife, they missed that. They missed the man. They missed the mission. They missed the the message. They missed the message of Jesus, the glorious message that he was alive. They're heading west. Jesus said to go north. Listen in on their conversation. It continues in verse 22. Some of the women amazed us. 
They went to the tomb early this morning, didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb. They found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. They knew Jesus was dead. I don't know how they knew that Jesus was dead. Maybe they saw the soldiers taking Jesus off the cross. Maybe they saw them put him in the tomb. Maybe, maybe they saw the, the big rock rolled in front of it. They knew, they knew, they knew, they knew. Nothing else was going to convince them. They knew Jesus was dead. When you miss the fact of the resurrection, when you miss the fact that Jesus is alive, when you miss the, the, the fact that the grave has been conquered, when you miss the fact that Satan and all of his evil forces have lost, when you miss that... Like these two, Cleopas and maybe Mrs. Cleopas, you're on a road to nowhere. You're on a dead-end street. That's where they were headed. When my boys were young, um, we got them books. I guess they still are out. This was, you know, 25 years ago. I Spy books. Have you ever seen those I Spy books? They have, like, a bunch of stuff in the picture, and there's kind of a, a poem at the bottom, and you're supposed to find all the stuff that's, that's said in the, in the little rhymy part at the bottom. In fact, I went on iSpy's website, and this is what it says. iSpy combines intriguing photographs of familiar object collections with rich rhyming riddles to create visual brain-teasing puzzles that kids can't resist. Each time a kid plays iSpy, they discover clever object associations, wordplay, and themes which help them to build important learning skills, including reading, problem-solving, and creativity. Makes it, man, it makes you want to think, gosh, i got to get this, or my kid's going to be a junior Einstein. Listen, I, I would do these things with a kid, and I never became a junior Einstein. I became frustrated when I couldn't find a bobby pin. <laughs> and I think, I think, I think, what's going on here with Cleopas and his friend is they were seeking. They thought they knew. They, they, they weren't even seeking Jesus. Jesus said, go to Galilee. They're heading to Emmaus. But the fact remains, Jesus was seeking them. Jesus was looking for them just as Jesus is seeking you. They were trying. They were trying to make sense of it all. Jesus, don't try. Just, just, just believe. They were, they were working, to, trying to figure out all these things. He said, just believe. Listen, Jesus is seeking you. He is seeking. If you don't leave here with anything, know this. Jesus is seeking you. Finally, Jesus had enough of this conversation. And he's done playing dumb. And so he says this, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Cleopas and his friend thought they knew how it works. This is how it works. Messiah comes, Messiah's enthroned, Messiah reigns, Messiah, Messiah, friends of Messiah have it made because of all that. Yahoo, end of story, that's it. And Jesus changed the story. He said, no, this is what happens. Messiah comes. Messiah is rejected. Messiah is crucified. Messiah is dead and buried. Messiah raises from the dead. Messiah reigns forever. That's who Messiah is. And then Luke says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of the journey, and Jesus acted as if he were going on. <laughs> But they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them and they sat down to eat and he took bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and it gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. This was Jesus. 
I love the, the line, don't skip over it too much. Their eyes were open. It wasn't typically what we would say is, we were walking along, Jesus came alongside of us, and, and we sat down, we had dinner, and when he broke the bread and prayed over it, then it's like, we opened our eyes and it was Jesus. But that's not what it says. It says their eyes were open. Every version says that. The verbs are, are very strong. Their eyes were open. What does that mean? Well, that's what Easter is all about. When Jesus opens your eyes. See, when Jesus opens your eyes... Miracles happen. When Jesus opens your eyes, enemies will look a whole lot like neighbors. When Jesus opens your eyes, your spouse will look like the one that you promise to love, honor, and cherish for the rest of your life. When Jesus opens your eyes, the poor will look needy. When Jesus opens your This week I had a guy in my office. He didn't know what I was preaching. And he was telling me about when he became a Christian. And he said, when I became a Christian, he said, said, I was looking at people and I was seeing Jesus in them, not their filth. That's what happens when Jesus opens your eyes. You'll see people. When Jesus opens your eyes, the person looking back at you in the mirror will not be the person that people have said are horrible, terrible, all these awful things. No, the person looking back at you in the mirror be the child of God that he desperately loves and he's been seeking and seeking and seeking. That's what, when Jesus opens your eyes, there's faith. When Jesus opens your eyes, there's hope. When Jesus opens your eyes, life takes on greater, newer meaning. See, did you hear what, what Cleopas and Mrs. Cleopas said? It says that, that after Jesus left, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road and explained scriptures to us? And within an hour, they were back on their way to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them. And they said, the Lord really is risen. Forget what the lady said. He he really is. We just had supper with him. They had traveled 14 miles that day. Seven miles to Emmaus, seven miles back. I got to think the seven miles back, this half marathon, the seven miles back were faster, a lot faster than the seven miles there. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? That's my prayer. When you, when you have your eyes opened by Jesus, when you encounter the powerful, resurrected Lord, when Jesus comes upon you in a great and glorious way, then life takes on new meaning and your heart will be on fire for him. That's what they're saying. Jesus, we really did. We had supper. Why believe in Easter? It's all about having your eyes opened. It's all about having Jesus become a part of your life. It's, it's having what Jesus promised. He said, I have come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That abundant life is what Jesus offers. We serve a powerful God. The grave couldn't keep him. Death couldn't hold him. Satan couldn't defeat him. And Jesus was victorious. But not just for that moment, not just for that second, that day, that Easter day way back when. Jesus is alive for you. He's seeking you. He wants you. And today would be a brand new day, the best day, not simply because we're eating candy and ham later, but the day because you came into our lives. Thank you, Jesus. You're alive. That changes everything. Amen. He is risen. He is risen. Have a great Easter. Thanks for being with us.